Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Well, I have to tell you that each one of you have been on my mind and in my heart and in my prayers all week long. And those of you that are listening on radio or internet right now, I just want you to know that I don't know you and I don't see your faces, but I do know that God cares for you and God loves you and I do too. And I'm so glad that you could be with us today. And yes, generally you have been prayed for too. I'm so excited about what I want to share with you today. and I hope that by the end of the service, you'll be just as excited because in a sense, the content of what I'm going to share is a little different than my style. Generally, you'll know that I'm the kind of pastor that likes to, with my words and my heart, wrap my arms around you that are hurting and suffering and bring you to a very loving God and Savior and Father. I also like to instruct you at times, but today's message in the middle of our series now in God's Mind on Money is going to be a little bit stronger than that. It's going to deal with warnings and cautions, which is not always my my nature. On the other hand, I do that because that's what God calls pastors and preachers to do, to teach the whole Word. And so I want you to know it's the Lord who loves you, and He cares for you. And because He cares for you, He's giving you a caution or a warning. I remember, if you'll let me indulge here for a moment, when I was an early junior hire, I was just getting into the surfing scene. I hadn't had a surfboard yet. And my parents would go to the beach, really, every weekend for in the morning, we'd go to the beach. And I didn't have a lot of money, but I would collect my, my, my lunch money, and I would save it to rent when they had those, those canvas rafts, if you remember them, not those cheap little plastic ones that it could pop at any moment. These are those heavy-duty canvas ones, because if you got out there in the surf and you jumped on that thing, it was sturdy, and it felt like a surfboard. So it was kind of like a fake surfboard as you would do this. Well, I remember we arrived at the beach this one uh, uh, Saturday morning, and when we did, I was so excited because it happened to be a lot of good surf. Now, wind chop, I get all of that. And so I looked at my mom and I, my dad, and um, I said, I'd really like to rent one of those rafts and go out there in the water. And uh, that was kind of like, you don't tell your mom, I'm getting one. And I didn't want to ask her because I was afraid she'd say no. So I just kind of said, I'd like to get that. Well, my mom and dad were of the nature that as long as I wasn't going to kill myself, that they would let me do something, they'd give me a caution, then let me do it, and then I would then have to live with the choice that I made. And we reared our kids that way, and it's been quite helpful that leadership is in them and all of that, And uh, but they have to live with the consequences and also enjoy the benefits of it. So as I'm renting my raft, as I'm heading to the surf, and I'm so excited because I knew if I can get on one of those crests, I could really ride laying on that raft a long time. And just as I did, I noticed that the lifeguards, true to their responsibility, they stuck a sign in the in the sand right there at the edge of the beach. And you know what that sign read? Danger, men of war. Now, if you're not from Florida, you might think that must be that there are ships out there, men of war. But that's not the case. It's far more dangerous than them. These happen to be these little critters that God has created that look like uh, you're blowing up a chewing gum bubble. And it's blue, beautiful blue. And it's on top of the water like a little float. And so it looks so pretty, but underneath it dangles between a few feet and many yards long of tentacles. Now that wouldn't be so bad, except those tentacles happen to be loaded with a lot of what we might call poison, because that's how they capture the little fish and eat them or whatever else they do with them. And so the sign said, danger, men of war. 
So I looked at that, and I looked at my mom and dad, and they said, you see that sign out there? You sure you want to do this? And I said, yeah, I really do this. Now, you know that you could get stung. And I said, I'll be careful. You know, it won't bother. I'll watch out. I know the signs there. And of course, you know, I did this a few times and about the third or fourth wave, I, you know, slid off that raft and got into the water. And of course, there's all that churning, boiling water around. And as I'm coming up, I felt the most excruciating fire-like pain that went across my chest and went across my legs. And I can just tell you as adults, I was glad that I had board shorts on. And I'm telling you, it was so painful I remember leaving that raft, running up the beach, running towards my mom and dad, and my mom and dad being like they are. They looked at me with a little twinkle in their eye, and all they did was they pointed with their hand to the lifeguard shack. And I went there, and of course the lifeguards in those days, they would just take some sand and kind of grind off as much of that poison that was on you and pour vinegar on it. You smelled like a salad. And boy, I'm telling you, I it was a whole year before I got rid of the scars that left as reminders. Now, why am I telling you this story? It's because I can't get mad at the sign. All the sign did was say, warning, they're out there, you could get stung. I can't be angry at the lifeguard who is caring for me, wanting not to suffer pain or maybe even loss of life. And they're saying, hey, be careful or don't go out there, you can have a problem. So all of that put together is someone who said, I, it, won't, it won't affect me. I, I, I can get around it. I'll be more careful now that I see the sign and I know what's going on in all of that. And true, not everybody who went in the water got stung. Not everybody who was riding a raft got stung. But this kid right here did. And I believe it was God's way to say, Stan, you need to really watch out when you're given a caution and a warning. And there's no greater person who loves me than the Lord, and there's no greater one who will give me a caution or a warning in my life not to take away my fun, but to enhance my life. And his sign is the Word of God, and of course the lifeguard is none other than Jesus Christ. So you have the living Savior, and you have essentially the Word of God, the written Savior. So we're talking about God's mind on money, and of course you'll find his mind in God's Word. And today... We want to talk a little bit more deeply on the subject of that particular thing that happens in our life that can really cause us the great, most great amount of pain, spiritual pain, emotional pain, social pain, even financial pain, and a whole lot more. And it's really an attitude, it's really an action of loving money and how it can really destroy us. So I'd like you to open your Bibles because today we're not going to do so many selected verses throughout Scripture. I want to park in a particular portion of Scripture found in 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you'll just open your Bibles and turn there, that'll be most beneficial for you. You can follow along. Those of you that are here today and have one of our, our notes, my notes in the worship folder, you can certainly follow along with that as well. But I would much encourage you to use your Bible, whether it's an electronic version or a leather-bound Bible, so you'd have it before you. And it might really be helpful. Well, as I begin this particular message, I got thinking about uh, rich people because it's all about loving money. You know, people who love money, really go after money, they tend to be more rich, or at least we think they are. And I wondered, what do rich people worry about? Have you ever thought about that? You know, I know what I worry about in my middle, low class, whatever I am class, um, I worry about, but rich people do have their worries. Well, that came across the mind of someone by the name of Tom sibling, and Tom Sidings, rather, he, he wrote a blog on it. He did a lot of research, and he came up with a number of things that rich people worry about. What really surprised me was this fact, very simply. What they worry about is basically the same things that we worry about as it surrounds money. 
You would not think so, would you? You'd think that, hey, they got all the money, they can buy themselves out of this problem, they can buy themselves that to release a problem or whatever, and yet they still have problems. So let me go through this to see if maybe you could identify with some of these to understand that we all are wrestling with this, that it's not just wealthy people. First of all, it said, having enough money for retirement. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. There are some of you that are on the brink of having to make the decision. When do I slip into retirement or put myself into the Social Security program or whatever else I might hopefully have at the end? They truly worried about it. And you might think, why would they worry about it? They're millionaires. Well, very simply, millionaire people, not all of them, I'm not going to indict them. You may be a millionaire and I don't know it. But for the most part, millionaires, they have uh, enjoyed that what money has given to them, and they have purchased larger homes, nicer cars, jewelry, vacation places, perhaps other things that surround them. And now when they get ready to retire, that means their natural source of income will slow up or stop, and they have to live off their retirement. But it's not just living off their retirement. It has been able to live off the retirement, watch this, at the same standard of living that they had when they were bringing in all that income. And those of you that are there, you've probably already been doing the math. Okay, here's what I made. What, do I, what can I really live on? Can I really make it on my retirement or what's left over? And there's a degree of worry about that. Wealthy people do the same thing. Here's the second one. They worry about their health. Now, I thought that money could buy better health. I think in some cases it might get you a better doctor. It might get you to a different hospital. You might even be able to go out of state, maybe even out of country if you had that uh, luxury because you have the money. So it doesn't really matter whether they have the money or not. They still worry about the same things that you and I do. They worry about their health and will they be able to get the kind of health care that they need. Number three, they're worried about being sued. 20% of those people that made less than a million dollars, listen to that, worried about being sued. It was those who made over a million dollars and were bumping into the $20 million rich category that 80% of them we're concerned about being sued. It's probably because they recognize that we live in a very litigious type of um, environment where there is a lot of suing going on. And of course, all of you know that when there is a lawsuit because of an automobile accident or something, those that have been injured or victims of it, they go after what we call the deep pockets. So they feel, oh, what am I going to have enough money? They're going to come and sue me. And so they worry about that. We that don't have anything, go ahead and take whatever I have. You want that bucket of bolts? You can have it, you know, kind of a thing. We don't worry as much about that. And then you have those that have the identity theft. Probably very similar, similar to being sued, but they're concerned about their identity because once their identity is stolen, the thieves can get far more into the assets that rich people have. So they live under the fear of their identity being stolen. And then protecting their assets. You know, they know they have a lot of assets, whether it's uh, cash assets or houses or vacation rental places that they might own to rent out to others, whatever they might have. But they're watching, wealthy people are watching the Federal Reserve, they're watching the investments that they have, their interest rates, the stock prices, the real estate market, because they know that at any moment, quote, a financial scud missile could hit it. And so they're very concerned about what they have, protecting it, hoping that it'll continue to bring value to them or even increase in value. So they're very worried about their portfolios or even those who manage their portfolios. Number six, they're worried about business responsibilities. For us that don't have a lot, we get terminated from our job because it's be, we're being downsized or whatever it is. It's a little nervy because of the money. But when a businessman who is a millionaire or a wealthy businessman 
He's worried about his reputation because that's connected to a lot of other things that's involved. Generally, when he is let go, there's a great big public display of it. Just look what's happening now at the end with the um, the college basketball and what's happening with the coaches involved in that. And you can go to CEOs of corporations and uh, football coaches of the NFL that at any moment they're cut loose and they got a lot of issues. So they're worried about if I lose my job, I have to keep my things going and I need money to do that. And if I lose my job, I won't be able to keep the things that I have and how embarrassing that is, which then brings us to the worry about the kids. You know, they begin to worry about their kids. They realize that they have a lot of money. Their kids are going to either inherit it or get all of that. And if those kids on their own mind will be thinking this way, I don't have to study as hard. You know, I don't have to worry about getting a job. I can work on my dad's mom's business if I need to. There's an inheritance coming my way. There's a trust fund that I'm going to get. So they don't work so hard. And wealthier people realize that that usually is a trickle-down effect on them. And the wealthier people that had to work for that money, they know the value of working for it. They know they may have lost some things with their families, but at the same time, they have this feeling of satisfaction, a little bit of self-worth that might have come this way. They've accomplished something that they know that their kids will not often have. You mark my words, a lot of times in a lot of companies, it started from nothing, it grew, the corporate founder, businessman, owner, he now makes a lot of money at all of this. The sweat, prayers, and hard work that built it does not often trickle down to the kids to have the same. So it's usually the next generation or the second generation after that that they begin to have problems. So wealthy people have issues. And last is this, and I say this tongue-in-cheek to my dear friends that are here, but it's keeping up with the Joneses. And so I think I'll just change that and call that for those of you that have the last name Jones, keeping up with the Buffets or keeping up with the Gates, all right? That once you have that, then you're in this treadmill that we have to keep up with them. You know, they got that car, we got to get this car. They went uh, to Europe, you know, we got to go to Mars, you know, that kind of thing. You know, there's always this, we got to get more and more because there's that competition that goes on and we've got to keep up with the same country club. Now, I know this is a world that that the majority of you and me, we do not live in this world. And I'm glad that I don't live in that, that particular world. But I also want you to know that if you have money and you are wealthy and you're listening to me right now, the real issue is not having money. In a sense, money is kind of amoral. I would like to use money not as a toy to play with, or as I say this very often, nor is it a um, weapon to do warfare in this world because you've got money, you can now control and do all of this. But see the money that God has permitted you to have as a tool to build with, whether it's to help build your relationship with the Lord and then help build other relationships with the Lord that others can have, I should say, that you might do that. And so celebrate that you have money. Last week, if you weren't here, you can download the message. It's on our website. Be sure you listen to that because that's the foundation message for this entire series that I'm giving on God's mind on money to really get our brain right. And the bottom line we learned the last time we were together is whatever we have belongs to the Lord and we now use it to bring glory back to Him. So whatever level you are, that's where we are in this. Now, some of you might be pushing back a little bit and say, well, I, I, um, I don't think I have a problem with desiring money. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not out there really trying to get rich and all of that. But how would I know if I was? All right, how would I know if there were men of war in the water unless perhaps the lifeguard very responsibly put up that sign? So I'd like to give you some signs of those who really have an issue with uh, getting rich and desiring for more money. Got to have more money. Here are five that I'd like to submit to you. 
And you might use these as you begin to network with other people, not to judge them, but to be perhaps aware of where they are. Number one is, they generally are more concerned with um, having that money rather than making it honestly or making it through providing good service or quality products. For them, it's all about the race for more money for themselves to be able to enjoy their own life a little bit better. Number two, another mark is they feel like they never have enough. It seems like they have this, but how much do I need? Just a little more, a little more, a little more. I read a book that was a very popular book, and book that I have not seen anywhere in any other books on financial management. But this book honed in on this one thought, and it changed Carol's and my view of our own um, level of income and, and assets, we'll say. And what they basically said is, you and God have to decide when is enough enough. Let that sink in. When is enough enough? Is it enough when I have $100,000, $200,000, a million dollars? What is enough is enough? And be satisfied with that basic amount and just celebrate that, that that's what God wants me to have. And so we have to decide when is enough is enough. How much is enough is enough? So the third one is uh, they tend to flaunt their money or their resources. These are people that are just hungry and thirsting and driving for more money. All right, They generally like to flaunt what they have. Right? Next, they also um, resent giving money. They resent giving that money away. You'll be quite surprised how many rich people don't give away a lot unless it's a better tax write-off for them, unless it improves their image around others that they give that money away. And generally, they want everybody to know that they gave, and they really hope that everybody knows how much they gave away. Or if by giving away that money can do something else to help them and their own bottom line or image. So it's not so much an altruistic, I'm giving it away. There's always something I have to, I have to, I must get back for it. Genuine people that have much and God keeps giving it to them when they give, they really don't want people to know. They don't want the left hand to know what the right hand is doing. They'd rather no one know because it's not about them. In fact, they, they would hope no one would even find out about that giving because they don't want others to even come back for more. They just want to give purely before the Lord because they know God saw their heart. The last one, number five, what's a mark of someone um, who really has this inordinate passion for more money, all right, is really a culmination of the four that I just mentioned. So I just wrapped it up in one phrase. So those of you that are a little bit on the outside of the faith, this is something that I hope you could understand for those of us who are inside the faith. Often when we have this innate desire for more, more, more money, we usually will use sin to get it. Sin becomes such a, a part of us that it's driven by this old man sin nature that's so much a part of us. We're so susceptible to a secular worldview that we, we feed off of that. And we have to have more and more and more and more and more. It's like we're more comfortable walking around the Millennial Mall than we are in a third world marketplace to share the gospel with someone. And so that's the difference. There's a sin thing in there. Well, I told you this is going to mean I wrap my arms around you and I'm going to give you a feel-good message. I am more of the sign that says there's men of war out there. I'm more perhaps the lifeguard today to say I really love you and don't be like that stupid 12-year-old who got on the raft and got out there. So I'm speaking from someone who um, did not always follow the signs, but now do because of the consequences. So today the message is kind of boiled down to just two big topics. 
One is the cautions about desiring more and then the consequences of it. And my sweet wife says, it's not those two points that get you, it's all those sub-points that Stan gives. All right, so there's going to be some sub-points. If I start rattling through this message and I'm going too fast for you to fill in the blanks, don't sweat that, okay? Don't worry about it. I missed a blank, I missed a blank, and shut down. Don't do that. Just listen to the message. I will help you fill in the blanks later on. In fact, you can call Carol at 2 in the morning, all right? And uh, she'll be home, I'm sure, all right? And she'll fill in the blanks. So what are the dangers of desiring more wealth? And I hope you have your Bibles open. We will kind of jump around other places in Scripture a little bit, but our main thought is to go through this passage in the time that we have. When I give you this passage, uh, well, let me get right into it. Number one, cautions against desiring wealth. All right, and the reason I put cautions there. It's not to say that you can't desire wealth, all right? Ambition is not wrong. In fact, the Old Testament says, seek great things for thyself, seek them not, all right? Um, But it's not saying don't seek them, just don't seek them improperly. Wrong motives, wrong reasons at the expense of violation of Scripture. So to have that is not wrong. It's like uh, men who are in a church. Scripture says, uh, those who desire to be an elder desire a good work, okay? It's not wrong to desire that as long as you're not desiring the position and the perks that go with it. You're desiring the work that goes with it, okay? And so then it's not necessarily wrong. So I don't want you to think it's wrong, but there are cautions. Once you start having too strong of an ambition, that ambition can become a slippery slope if we're not careful. So here are some cautions. So the desire means the presence of discontent, right? The desire means... The presence of discontentment. Generally, you want to get to something else because you're not quite as content here. Now, that's not always the case, but generally when I'm talking about desiring to get well is because there's a lack of contentment here. Now, I want you to look at the verse, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, but I want you to just park for a moment on the first word of verse 6. It says, but. Now, when you're doing Bible study, when you see the word but there, that's kind of a contrasting term. Here is a but because of something that happened earlier in the passage. So now I need you to give me your time for just a moment, because I want to unpack where this passage of Scripture is found. Because once you know this, I think it'll help you have a better understanding of why I'm teaching this right here to you and me. This uh, passage of Scripture is part of a letter that the Apostle Paul had written to his protege, which would be Timothy, who was a pastor. Now, this wasn't just a great man writing to a younger great man. This was a great man who was inspired by Almighty God. So this is God's mind on paper that God gave to Paul, and it was so important that he was prompted then to write a letter to Timothy. Now, he wrote to Timothy, and probably one reason is is because Timothy was the shepherd of the sheep of that church, knowing that he was in a position that he needed to communicate what that truth was to others. So it then, again, had that term I'm using, the trickle-down effect. Paul to Timothy, Timothy to the church people, throughout history through disciple-making to us today, so we own it, watch this, so we then disciple others, whether they're going to be a pastor or not, down the line. Now, in verses 1 through verse 5 of chapter 6, that little section there is dealing where Paul is telling Timothy about what is known as false teachers. These are teachers, and false teachers are false teachers because they're teaching that which is false, okay? So they're really not a teacher, they're a propagator of lies and error and damnable heresy. And so he's warning him of that. He says, this is what they look like, this is what they teach, this is what their motive is, and that's where this is. So the question is, is what are the motives of the false teachers that Paul was telling Timothy to be aware of in the faith family, as well as to teach to the people to be aware of that? What was the bottom line? The bottom line of those false teachers is that they were motivated by getting gain. 
whatever it is, reputation, money, resources, influence. They wanted something from their students, these false teachers wanted. And primarily, I think it's in the context of, of funding or money or silver or gold or something like that. So then they thought, I can get money out of these people based on how I teach. So then they taught various things with people who had itching ears. People who then would say or listen to whatever they really wanted to say because they knew that with people would come money, so they were affecting this. Let me say it even more simply. They were now teaching a false godliness. They themselves had false godliness. In other words, they had outward godliness, but not coming from the inside out. That false godliness with the idea of getting gain. So now, at the end of those five verses, you have the word but here. So now he says, that's all about those guys, but here's what I want to do. He says, I want to give you a parenthesis right now. While I'm telling you about these bad dudes that are out there, but this is what real godliness is as it relates to contentment and gold and all the rest. So again, that's given to Timothy to do what? Teach to the people. To do what? Disciple through the generations. To give it to us today through the written word, and then we take it to the next generation. And what is that? And that is the dangers of loving money. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Make it clear.